Today's episode of That Song from That Movie is coming up after this. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. Ashley is the Mythbuster. Tiresias is finally just like, it was you, okay? <laughs> Waterboard him with this magical gem that is not a testicle. <laughs> Emily is a cryptid hunter. And it's this guy that's bending over and farting into the face of this absolutely horrified cat, but the cat is like, no! In some stories, this long, narrow sheet of cotton is also your roll of toilet paper. But it's evil toilet paper. (laughs) (laughs) And Lindsay is the storyteller. So put your trains in the upright position. We're flying back over to northern Italy for a fun little legend that will have you rethinking water sports. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Am I pretty? I think I'm a snack. She'd be like, what's a snack? Do you have candy? Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Stop on by for a slice, a story, and a laugh. Coming January 2021. Our episodes are very similar to the plagues, in the sense that one just wasn't enough. So here's part two of our look at the Prince of Egypt on today's That Song from That Movie. What's up? Doc? Uh, that's better. It says it's all good. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey for the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your Ramesses and Mo Sislak host, Dietrich. <laughs> and today we're joined by Ramesses and Mo Money Mo Problems, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> like it. Come on, let's say the next one. Okay. And we're also joined by Ramesses and Mo. From EastEnders is Gary Oldman's sister in real life. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know. I did not know where it was going, so I was very impressed. Quite obvious, I think, from the way I said that. that I wrote that one down first and then worked backwards. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot, D. Yeah, I suppose I do as well, even at my own expense. So we're picking up Prince of Egypt from where we left off. So Alex, off you go. Yeah, we're getting into the heavy songs now. Get your toast. Your knife, your scones, your clotted cream ready, because this one is a fresh jam, right? <laughs> so, performed by Brian Stokes Mitchell, not Danny Glover, who does do the voice of the character Jethro in the film. Unfortunately, he doesn't sing. That would have been interesting. <laughs> the song is Through Heaven's Eyes. Guys, go on, lay on me. What, what are we thinking about this song? Through this song, I think this is the one where you go, uh, a lot of you are ex-Disney. <laughs> I don't think there's very much that's catchy about this. I think it's probably the low point of the f- uh, of the songs, not the, not the film, like just of the of the songs comparatively. Continuing the theme of me comparing this, did you notice how much this sounds like Brian Boitano from South Park? <laughs> <laughs> I did not go that way. I get, I get what you're saying though, but that came after this, though, didn't it? I have no idea. Oh, it was about the same time. I, I thought his voice sounded like the guy who sings "Spirit of Man." Is it "Spirit of Man" from War of the Worlds? <laughs> <laughs> that's where I, I went to. I, I thought this it was nice to just have a, a lighter note in this film. 
Yeah, I, mean, okay. I know. That, I know Very they're true. kind of enjoying themselves at the start, but you know something's coming. You know there's going to be turmoil. You know there's going to be a break and conflict. Whereas here, they're just having a nice time, and I, I think it's just quite uplifting. It's kind of a party song, building a bit more into. I guess Moses comes across as the quite jovial at the start, has to be hit with life's truths and the harsh realization of who he is, but then actually realizing there's a nice part to that as well that he probably couldn't always enjoy being a son of a pharaoh. I I, I probably wouldn't go as far as you, Alex. (laughs) Whatever your analysis was of this. Said it was a fresh jam then. Fresh jam. Yeah, well, I think there was a lot of words that came before it as well. There was. Yeah, I like it. Not to that extent. I am surprised that you two don't think this is a, a, a bop because it's... I don't know. For me, it's just it's just got something, and I, and I think like it really injects, like you said, it injects the life back into the film in that, that mid. I mean, it's soon it's soon going to be pulled away. Exactly. So you need you need the respite, and the song is all respite. You're gonna choke on that on that scone. <laughs> By the way, listeners, it is scone, not scone. Yeah, it's scone. It's scone when you've eaten it. Yeah, is what I would say. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in thinking this is a good song. Stephen Schwartz, writer of all the songs, said this was his favorite for the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favourite of seven <laughs> No, he said it was his favourite His absolute favourite So it was the fourth song written for this part of the film um, The first three were more comedic And plot driven The first was called All in the Attitude Which according to Schwartz was, And I, I want to stress that this is a quote It's not my words It was a comic number about how poor they all were <laughs> It sounds hilarious. I, I can imagine him like having a cigar <laughs> while he says it. Right. God. Brilliant. Yeah, the other two were called Don't Be a Stranger and One of Us, which were about welcoming Moses into the tribe. So they were kind of more plot-driven in that sense. One of Us was the song that they were going to go for. However, indeed, this might be where what you said rings true, because Katzenberg, the guy who used to work for Disney, of course, felt that at this point in the film they needed something more philosophical, thematic, to reflect the change in Moses' way of thinking. So clearly, in- <laughs> inject Disney into this moment. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So that kind of that kind of rings true, doesn't it? Just just as a, and a further note on this one, the lyrics came from a combination of a poem called The Measure of a Man and Schwar- again, Schwartz's visit to the Sinai Desert in Egypt. It's all sounding a bit John Barry with Stephen Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah, he's getting a lot of tax relief holidays here, isn't he? (laughs) Secretly sneaking into Egyptian temples, walking through the mountains of Egypt. The only thing that's missing is, what was it, Turkish belly dancers and and, and alcohol. (laughs) One thing I would say is, if you didn't like this version, you two, you know, you were quite lukewarm. Never, ever listen to the pop version by KC and JoJo. It is possibly the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I did life. not know that was a thing. I'll definitely have I'm to. I'm going to have to listen to yeah, it. Now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> For someone who enjoys this song like I do, it literally murders it with so many pointless <laughs> vocal runs and crude, sort of like crude airport lounge instrumentals in the background and like chimes and the. Oh, God. Yeah, and you know what? Do listen to it. Do listen to it because it's just, it's horrific. I just hated everything about it. Where there's so much like life and enjoyment and happiness in this version they've just pulled everything that was good about it from it and uh dumped it on the floor but yeah so like i mean you guys don't you clearly don't want to talk about the song anymore <laughs> i mean i was all about <laughs> talking about the song for the next 25 minutes but let's move on we didn't really talk about this in our last part but do you remember we've spoken about stephen schwartz on this podcast before i don't actually have we was that another dreamworks film no because he left mulan 
to oh. do the songs for this film. He did, yes, I do remember. Yeah, no, I does ring a bell. Because so, uh, they gave him the option. He wanted to do both, probably because he wanted to go on holiday to Japan as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're seeing a pattern. But Disney said, well, it's this or Prince of Egypt. So he left and went to the Prince of Egypt and obviously did quite well with it. Yeah, he'd already been to Asia the year before, so... <laughs> yeah. So, D, I can only assume this next song is your favourite. Playing with the big boys now. So, this song features when Moses returns with his wife to ask Ramses to... Let my people go. I thought you guys were going to say... was a call oh, right, from the singer. I thought you meant, like, it was some sort of joke, like he was Ramses too. No, no, no. Ramses too. Let's try it again. Moses returned to Egypt to ask Ramesses to. I thought you were going to do it, D. I thought you were going to do it, Alex. Let my people go. Right, okay. <laughs> so the song... Actually, go on. What do, you, do you guys have, a, have an opinion on this one? <laughs> you're, you're fed up, Alex. You're just <laughs> phoning it in. Right, I'll, I'll go straight out and say this is actually, this is my least favourite song of yeah, the well, that's, that's, long. that's fine. Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Okay. For me, it's second last. <laughs> I do enjoy it, kind of. Like, it's, it's sort of a toe-tapping song, but it's such is it an odd song for the placement in the film. Mm. It just stops the drama between Roses, uh, yes. Roses. Yeah. Roses and Ramesses. <laughs> <laughs> Roses and Ramesses. They've reunited after one thinks they've been dead for, I don't know how many years. And it just suddenly turns into this weird comedy song from, like, yes. a TV show. Again, there's that Disneyfication, isn't it? Yeah, they just have to have yeah. some comedy relief. You almost expect like a yeah, like a monkey to come in. <laughs> yeah, it's like they didn't trust children to keep with them during this scene, whilst there was an emotional re- reuniting and almost like a disapproval from Moses of uh, Ramesses' actions. So they're like, uh, "Here's a song by two bumbling idiots." Yeah, it's Steve Martin, isn't it? It's Steve Martin and Martin Shaw. Yeah. Martin Shaw, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like it sounds like, and even the setup feels a bit like "Be Prepared" from Lion King. There's a lot of smoke, and there's a lot. There's like people stood up on the balconies on the corner. If you watch it back, yeah, definitely has that vibe. Not as good. Jeremy Irons mentioned again. Well, before rewatching it, I remembered these two characters being in it, and I felt like they were a much bigger part of the film than they are. They okay. appear like really early in the beginning. A little bit, and then this, then again here, and that's kind of it. It's just for comedy relief. Really. They, they remind me of a human yeah. pain and panic from Hercules. Yes, it's very Hercules. They even have the similar aesthetic. Incredibly skinny and s- small and fat. It's so yeah. <laughs> easy and so cliche. But they don't really go in for it, though. That's kind of what I don't understand. They don't really commit to the humour of it because it doesn't crop up enough. I, yeah. I, it feels like a studio decision, you know, that like that you show them this and it's like, whoa, yeah. this is really serious. This is really heavy. Throw in some fat little man that does magic. <laughs> yeah, it's literally like for like the shortest amount of time, though. That's what I just find so odd about. And I think that's kind of what makes me hate the song more, that it just feels so weirdly shoehorned in at this point, like you said, D. And it's, I kind of understand the mechanics of what the song is doing in that it's, sort of cause it's the creation of that moment of doubt in Moses' power or like Moses' word about God uh, for the Israelites because like when he obviously leaves that temple they start throwing mud at him and whatnot. So it's kind of to create that doubt in 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 his character as to what up you know, just like it's a bit the the, the middle of this film kind of reminded me of Star Wars in that 
Luke Skywalker has never heard of the Force, and then all of a sudden he's the one like telling Han Solo about the Force. And it's like, Moses never believed in any of this, and then all of a sudden gets visited by a burning bush, and then he's like, everyone must listen to what I say. And, and then this is that kind of moment where he's like, mm, maybe I shouldn't have listened to the bush in the cave. And uh, so I kind of get it, why it's there for that reason, but other than that, I feel like it's it's just weird. Yeah, I suppose you can take it as they're trying to show that it's not serious, like Moses is trying to take everything really serious, and they almost... The two, whatever their characters are named, these two um, Hotep magicians. and Hoy. There you go, Hotep and Hoy. They're trying to make light of it for Ramesses, who, you know, he leans back and starts, like, smirking and laughing. And mm. I think it's, you could see that in some narrative senses. No, it's not all serious. It's just a trick. It's just parlor games. Yeah, I'm kind of belittling his goal yes. as well. Yes, true. <laughs> but Moses is basically us, and he's like, like what the hell, guys? <laughs> so the next song is Plague's. Which is essentially a reprise of All I Ever Wanted with a few extra verses in there. Uh, one of which sang, interestingly, by Ray Fiennes. Because I just wanted to mention, actually, is that other than Michelle Pfeiffer and the lady who sings the initial lullaby, the one who plays um, Moses' mum, the rest of the... Oh, actually, no, sorry, and and Steve Martin and Martin Short, weirdly. Ray Fiennes is the only other cast member that actually both speaks and sings. <laughs> It's odd. <laughs> it's odd because Val Kilmer doesn't sing in the film. I know he has more songs than than, than this just like little uh, verse for Ramesses, but my, my thought was whether they couldn't find anyone who could sing that's in what they assumed Ray Fiennes' voice, singing voice would sound like, like a better version of it. So there's, but you just have to do it. You just have to do it, Ray Fiennes. And it's not like it's bad, but it's just, it's weird to hear. <laughs> yes. But I mean, in terms of the song, I've just put epic because it truly is epic, this song. Yeah. Yeah, we're still going, guys. Give me a spiel. Pardon my French here, but what a fucking banger of a tune <laughs> this is. It comes out of it when you least expect it. It's just so impactful and, and epic and bombastic and other words that mean like over the top. It has one thing that all good musicals should have, and that's a dueling that verse and then <laughs> dueling choruses. I see, I see what, yeah, it, is, it does that well. The final chorus where they're both singing the chorus how they want it to hear it at the same time, it's, it's magic. It's magic on screen. And the visuals are go with this, like with the half and half faces, and mm. then it splits into like them both looking towards, like, towards the moon, I guess. Everything about it is perfect. It's a... Uh, it's chef's kiss. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Ooh. Ben, can you top can you top a chef's kiss? Oh, it's all I ever wanted. There you go. Ooh. Brilliant. Yeah, for the poster. For the poster. Yeah, okay. uh, we're just like 20-something years too late. Go, go on, Ben. I do really like it. Again, I think it's one of those, if I was just listening to this on a soundtrack, I'm not too fussed. And I could probably say that for a lot of the songs, I think it, they work really well with the visuals because mm. they've, they, they've, been, they've been finely tuned together. And like Dee said, you know, in talking about song, he's talking as well about how it, a lot of it links in with the visuals. There's that, like the frenetic pacing of the song as well, links really key to the all the plagues, the visions they're saying, you know, it, the, almost like lightning striking. I think they all work with the film and not so much by themselves. And I think this song probably emphasizes that more than any other. Yeah, and I think it was because when I was watching it, I was thinking it was an interesting choice for them to decide not to show each plague in like more detail because you feel like a lot of people writing the story for this film would have done that they would have given like each one like its own because they do it obviously with the with the the blood in the red sea 
Um, and that has a kind of like more of it is like within the narrative, but every of the other ones apart from the final one are fed into the song. But actually, I think it's a really good way of doing it. It's pretty much yeah. the perfect way of doing it. It's to the film's credit. Yeah, yes, definitely. definitely. Because it's still as impactful, but it all happens at once. So it's all this, it's just this huge moment, isn't it? Where it's just like everything is happening at once and you're like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. In a lesser film, this would have been like a tick box exercise. Yeah. Going, right, that one, then that one, then that one. It didn't need it. Exactly. Yeah. And it did a perfect job of, of displaying it all. I, the, the the part I did enjoy the most about this as well, like he just like, Ramsey just like, keeps turning behind him and Moses will just be stood there like, yeah. <laughs> another plague. <laughs> it's locusts now, it's frogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that the stakes have already risen. You don't need them to kind of be, the tension to be wrapped up anymore. We're already at that point. So let's yeah. just, let's just, yeah, let's just rush it through. Let's just pile them on. It works really well. Yeah. And I think I think obviously the final plague where the firstborn children of the Egyptian families is killed, that's kind of the core of what they tried to go with this film. In terms of like when I mentioned with the lullaby and the connection to family and who do you belong to and mm. and children essentially because obviously Moses ends up being the father of 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 the Jewish faith I suppose in a lot of ways. Yes. And so it's it's about those generations, isn't it? Yeah. So I think they really hone in they've really realised that that's the only one that counts in a lot of ways. And they give that one its time and its and its place on screen. And the rest of them are kind of just like a build up to that and they, they appreciate that. And I think that's kind of I think that's the one thing you would say about the film. It just feels very well constructed. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's the thing, like you, you, a common, like very easy criticism about. There's a lot of like smiting and punishment and wrath. And I think from the traditional story that the Moses plagues, it's it's all wrath. But they added a lot of humanity and character into Moses of like, you know, I don't want to do this. This is awful. This is breaking me apart. That I'm doing this to my brother. But I, you know, I have this responsibility to my people to get their freedom. And it's kind of like I have to lose that one thing that probably he cares about almost as much as his responsibility to the Jews. And you know, that that sort of inner turmoil is just so huge and almost like hangs on a knife edge in this. And I think that moment when obviously the firstborns died, that's that kind of like, it's no going back now. I just think it works really well. Again, only with the visuals. It's such a brilliantly conceived scene from start to finish, musically, visually. I feel like it just ends up overshadowing the next song we're going to talk about. <laughs> that's interesting. I really want to see this musical. Well, actually, one one thing to mention is that, since you reference the musical again there, Ben, is that the song I hear the most, playing with the big boys now, is not in the musical. So they obviously realised that it was stupid. Which is which is interesting, <laughs> because even Les Mis has uh, Master of the House. Yeah, but that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Let's move on. So, most people who remember this film from Charles Babbage recently will only probably remember the one song. And the one song they will remember, I imagine, is When You Believe. So I've got a lot more notes on this song, <laughs> as you would expect. So let's just dive right in. So first of all, I'll, I'll let you guys start. Like, D, you said you think the previous song overshadowed it. Do you want to expand on that? I guess the question I need to ask here, are we talking about the movie version or the single release? Well, we will go into both. We'll talk about the movie version first. Right. Yeah. Cool. So I think it is hard not to like this song, even if it is following one of the most epic songs ever in one of the greatest animated films of all time. Kidding. (laughs) It is a really big song, and I really do enjoy this one. Um, I think the placement in the movie is a bit strange, because it almost feels like they're celebrating the death of children by singing this song. (laughs) 
I feel like there's not enough of a beat in between the final play and this song starting to not make it sound like going, oh, when you believe, children die. Just needed a slight bit more room to breathe, in my opinion. Yeah, I can see that. Decant it. Exactly. I agree with D. I think it could have just come at the end. This, I guess if this message, you know, yes, it, things can happen if you believe. Feels very Disney. You just could have waited a bit. It, it does seem like you're coming off after just being exhausted. And it's just a bit too cheery, probably. So do we, do you think it should have come after they uh, they escape through the water? Is Basically, that kind of... yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that don't touch that scene because that scene is amazing. But yeah, just afterwards, just something, just like a, a basically like an outro. Um, you know, maybe interweave a bit of the sort of some musical refrains, maybe just softer versions of through the film to show that the character development is important. It's not just disregarded. But do you think do you think they made the choice to put it where they did precisely for the reason that you're saying it doesn't work there that they had to kind of because essentially they have just killed all those children so they have to sort of bring them back like it's very difficult to do that isn't there like how yes they've you know these are all slaves and they've they've, they've been uh, subjected to horrific treatment but at the same time they've just killed children who are kind of innocent in this storyline so it's yeah. it's like how else do you do it. Maybe it should just not have existed. <laughs> the song itself, oh, in the movie, in the movie, yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I, lo- I do like, I love, I really do like the song most. Actually, mostly the single version. But I don't know. Just watching it back, just don't think it really works. Yeah, it's yeah. the song that is synonymous with the film because it's yeah. probably it has that again that very Disney message that works for children or is intended to you know that yeah if you try if you believe anything can happen. You know, it's very, it's the bloody, what do you call it? It's the Pinocchio. Anything your heart desires, you know, will come to you. Is that kind of same just, sentiment? You know, believe and yeah, you can have it. Yeah. It feels like it sells out Moses's character, Moses's? Moses's character, Moses. where he's feeling the pain of all these plagues. And in the beginning of the film, they make a massive point about him hating the idea that somebody's killing children. Hmm. And yet, at this point in the film, Younglings. we're now celebrating killing children. Younglings. <laughs> <laughs> It's all of them, like animals. <laughs> Master Moses. Not just the not just the firstborns. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> to skip skip past those uh, Star Wars references. Please do. I completely agree with you too that I think the placement is odd. I think it would have made much more sense to come at the end, but I have to see why they tried to put it where they did, because they probably felt there's too much of a downbeat to then expect the audience to be with them as they walk out. Because, I mean, the, the scene just before, I mean, you're literally looking at Ramesses putting a sheet over his dead child. And it's like, yep. it's quite, and like the way he sort of like places his head on the stone slab is very depressing to watch. And it's kind of like, so I get why they felt they had to put the song there. But I think like you two have both said, that I think it's the tone of the song. I think maybe if they had to put song there, there should have been something different. But I think like you both said, I think it should have been moved later on. I think it would have worked a lot better coming right at the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then again, yeah. I think the problem there is that they obviously wanted to tie up the other songs in that final moment, and the Deliverer's song comes back, yeah. so then it would have been in the way of that. I think keeping it to the credits was the way to do this. Possibly. To get around the problem. Yeah, it could It could have just been a credit song. Yeah. yeah it's a cop out, but yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Bruch and is for our North American listeners. Bruch is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra gentle bristles, the Bruch redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like the feeling you get when you leave the dentist, a fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. 
Our listeners can get 15% off their total purchase with the code POD15. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code POD15 for your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. So let's go into comparing the two versions then, because you've mentioned the credit song, and actually this song is does play at the over the credits, uh, but it's a different version. It's obviously the Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston version. Let's talk about the differences between them. I mean, do you guys have a preference? Do you prefer one over the other? They just there's a lot more behind the Whitney and Mariah version. I don't know why I attribute it to Christina Aguilera, but they just when they just go off. <laughs> <laughs> they're just they're just going all over the place and i quite like watching the video because just from what i know about mariah carey and whitney houston i imagine they didn't like sharing the, the spotlight and as much as they're smiling at each other it almost feels like a weird sort of um rap battle <laughs> yeah. that they're just kind of like trying to sing over the top of each other but still i think it has a lot more power and aside from the narrative i think I, it works the song it's very memorable. It is the one that sticks out because I think it's the only one that doesn't that works without the film. There's an awful lot of vocal gymnastics, so it's hard <laughs> not to keep on top of the vocals. What I thought was weird about this version compared to the movie one, which I, I do prefer the movie version, is that the the actual backing music in this is much more easy listening. Yeah. Very Sunday afternoon, you're doing spring cleaning. It's airport lounge. It's the same as that weird as the weird version of that KC jojo version of uh heaven it's the same kind of thing and it's the kind of thing that you use to get with all sort of song tie-ins like i think um the one that's really coming to mind is um the one from aladdin what's the song called um a whole new world whole new world the version of a whole new world oh they all do it the version of is it taylor's oldest time the luther vandross yeah Dino yeah Ross, is it? This, this is it and it's kind of they're always like this they have this sort yes. of like weird backing track <laughs> Very strange. Takes away from it. Yeah, it does. And I, I wrote that exact thing and I put the sort of the vocal gymnastics of you as you so well put it, Eddie. It's kind of it's all glamour and no sparkle, which is the complete opposite of the version of this of the song in the film. It it just becomes more about those two singers competing with each other and the song just loses all sense of emotion. And it's just I just the the backing track is sickly. It's like disgusting to hear. <laughs> I can't I can't actually like go through my and yeah, the the original sort of I put stripped back version, but I suppose it's the opposite way around. The other song is like an all on top version, although it doesn't feature these powerful vocals. It's kind of elevated in its sort of simple, humble hopefulness. Mm. It's like a chorus of simple voices rather than like these over the top ones collected to create something that's more touching and sort of encapsulates the sort of rising belief in these free people. And I, I know what you guys are saying it feels odd in the film, but I I think the song works. And I think the scene works. I just think that it's in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. And I think I think that's kind of was my takeaway listening to both next to each other because they they do come on there about what ten minutes between them in the actual film between that scene and the credits. Um, but yeah, so like it's almost like the Gary Houston version. I am going to read up my notes here. Or, or, or Egyptian pharaonic materialism. That's that's it's literally like they're the Egyptian version of the song, which is obviously not what it's, it's supposed to be. The opposite, but that's what they're displaying. It's kind of it's it's all face value and nothing bit deeper. Whereas the other version is kind of I felt was much more touching. Mm. But yeah, do you want some and some more facts about the song? Oh yeah, definitely. So Ben, you you touched on something interesting about it being competition between Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston, or it seeming like it. And actually, at the time, there was a lot of press negative press about their relationship people saying that they were and this was before this they even collaborated on this song that they were like rivals during the process of this creating this song together they both were very 
open about how well it was going and how good they were, you know, well they were getting on, <laughs> which does make you wonder, doesn't it, a little bit? It's kind of like, I can't tell whether it's... If it was going well, you wouldn't need to tell us. Yes, it, it's essentially, you know, they doffed protest too much kind of situation, like, but but anyway, we don't know the truth behind that, but yeah, they, they both said that their relationship was very, very good and they both got on very well during the recording of this song. The song was awarded the best original song at the 71st Academy Awards, beating another alumni. I don't want to miss a thing. We mentioned them again at the beginning. Um, and other songs, of course. <laughs> it wasn't the only it just wasn't a one versus one. The version featuring Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston was not the version that won the award. It, the version that won the award was the version from the film. Oh, okay. But Interesting. Yeah, well, from from what I could tell, anyway. I mean, don't don't want to quote me on that. But the reason why I believe that is, is that Stephen Schwartz left producer Babyface, who was the one who helped him you make that know. version. No. <laughs> he left Babyface off of the nomination submission sheet because he didn't help on the. He had nothing to do with the film version. So I don't know whether it's kind of like just the song won it. But Stephen Schwartz decided that it was the film version, or whether it was actually the film version that was the one that was nominated. I, I'm, I, that's unclear. But all we know is that Babyface did not get any credit <laughs> when it came to the award. Knowing the Academy, it was it was probably that, like, or at least members of the Academy that voted had heard the Mariah Carey yes. version, saw it on no the page, and like, oh, that's it. And they don't they wouldn't have even realised it was someone else at the end. You know, yeah. I think they just very much like, oh, it's that thing. I'll vote for that thing, even though I've not heard it or seen it. Yeah, the irony of it was was that the version that they performed, because they performed at the Oscars at the 71st Academy Awards, the version they performed was the babyface version, obviously, because it was their version, um, not the version from the film. So there's, there's an interesting story about their appearance on the Oscars. So before the appearance, they were scheduled to rehearse. However, Whitney Houston pulled out due to illness but the Academy executives didn't take it well, calling it a bullshit story. That's quoted. The Academy's musical arranger found a young performer to take Houston's place for the rehearsal, and she was called Janice Uly. However, at one point, Mariah Carey forgot her lyrics and stopped performing, only for Uly to step in, singing, and this is, this is a quotation, gusto and theatricality. Her performance which possibly could have been her trying to grab her five minutes of fame, angered directors of the of the ceremony, who called it inappropriate and unnerving. She was removed from the stage. Amazing. So <laughs> Mariah Carey was her usual diva self, and someone tried to hold the way, and that was seen as uh, a dick move. Yeah, I mean, that's the interpretation of the events, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll take that. All we know is that a young singer tried to uh, <laughs> presumably just perform as she had been asked, and she was kicked off the stage. They probably would have preferred Mariah to just stand there and smile at the audience. I very much expected that story to be, and that person is now known as... <laughs> Imagine. No, she, I mean, there was no link on her name anywhere, and I couldn't find, so oh, presumably sure. that was a one chance. She probably got blacklisted, <laughs> because that was probably also very Hollywood of the time. Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. The only other note I actually have on the song was that um, UK listeners may know the song more as the winner's song for the 2007 series of X Factor, ultimately won by Leon Jackson. And I think actually this has come up before. I think it came up when we did the What If episode, which I know I mentioned earlier. 
because I think Ridian did a version of that song, and Ridian was came second in this season of X Factor, so he also did a version of this song, as did Same Difference. <laughs> God, these are callbacks. So yeah, some some uh, callbacks that everyone will understand listening to this, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Got to number one, presumably. I, I guess everyone, every X Factor winner got Apart to number Joe one, McKeldry. except for Joe McEldry, <laughs> um, with his famous loss to Rage Against the Machine. Yep, I bought that Rage Against the Machine single so many times that week. Looking back, what a waste of money. Okay, top five time. So, obviously, Alex, you were alluding to, this is kind of an, uh, very early in the DreamWorks age, and it was kind of weird for animation, the late 90s, early noughties, not knowing whether to embrace CGI after Toy Story, or to go back to just traditional methods. And there was this conflict, and it led to a lot of crap. So, what I want to know from you guys is, because most of the answers might be around that time, is what are the biggest animated box office bombs of all time? Okay. Well, I'm guessing in this case it's not Prince of Egypt. (laughs) Yeah, we can't do it this week. (laughs) For the first time ever, I have not picked the film that we're talking about, probably, in the top five. Are are any of them Disney films? Not telling. Okay. So on, you got, I'll, I'll give you clues <laughs> further down the line, Alex. You know. I think there's one called like Amusement Park or something like that. Not on the list. Theme Park, Amusement Park. Not on the list. Oh, that one that was recent. That was relatively recent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Wonder Park. Was it called Wonder Park? Maybe. Oh, that, maybe that was it, yeah. Um, so so is, this just ev- is this just ever been? Sorry. Yeah, I mean, apparently yeah. these are, these figures are up to date as of the 16th of April, 2021. Um, Brother Bear. Yeah, it was Brother Bear one. Nope. Home in the Range. Nope. I'm guessing, like, yeah, Osmosis Chicken Jones. Little. <laughs> You're saying all amazing films. <laughs> um, oh, uh, no, no, because... Treasure Planet. You're getting closer, so Atlantis. Treasure Planet is seventh on the list. Oh. Not Atlantis, then. No, not Atlantis. Just oh, go, maybe go away from Disney. Oh, okay. Oh. Ants. No. <laughs> um, you were doing really well, guys. Joseph. What? <laughs> Did you say we were doing really well? No, well, yes, I'm being completely sarcastic. Uh, no, jo- so Joseph actually D was uh, it's a prequel to follow up to this film. Yeah, but it's a VHS. It, it was really straight to VHS. Oh, right, okay. oh god, this is harder than I thought. Though one of the answers in this list is apparently the greatest box office bomb of all time, animated or not, because it used a particular technique that was incredibly expensive. That films like A Christmas Carol used and Polar Express, in which they used um, live, you know, live action and then animated over the top. Is it either of those two? No. Robert Zemeckis. Oh my god. Okay. <sighs> Terrible. This is going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The, first, the one afterwards is a DreamWorks film. I think came out not long after The Prince of Egypt. El Dorado. Oh god. Okay. Number one is a film called Mars Needs Moms. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yes. Yeah, okay. I have heard yep. of that, yeah. Is that the Robert Zemeckis one? Yes. It had a budget of $150 million dollars. And made a round thirty nine million. Yeah. So if you think usually they say you have to make double to make to break even. <laughs> so is that kind of a theme here? Are they all quite big budget films then? Yes, I, yes, definitely. Because this is really, I'm really finding it hard though. I don't know why. I mean, are some of them yeah. stop motion animations. No, nope. nope. no, because they've got to be expensive to make. So expected better than you guess. Right. Okay. Maybe maybe give us more time frames. Like when when are we? Okay, kind of the second one is from two thousand three. And it's this DreamWorks film that I was hinting at, which basically is DreamWorks changed tact after this to solely focus on CGI. So, so it was actually like drawn. Made yes. Film. Well, I think it was a, it was one of the, it was like a mix, a lot more mix than Prince of Egypt. 
It was Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas. Oh, which you did say earlier in the episode. I was thinking that I was trying to remember the ones that you'd said earlier, because I must be one of them. <laughs> Christ, this is not going well. This is probably our worst performance. This might be. It might be. It's even worse than the time I did the Mulan one. Yeah. Well, I still have questions about that one. Yeah. yeah. A lot of deaths in this one. Third too. one is a film directed by Don Bluth. Legendary Don Bluth. Director of films such as Old Dogs Go to Heaven. Old Dogs Go to Heaven too. <laughs> yep. uh, I was going to say Rescuers. Stars Matt Rescue. Damon, Bill Pullman. Matt Damon? Titan AE. Never heard of it. Oh, well, watch it. It's a car crash. <laughs> I didn't even know that was animated. Exactly. That's the thing, because it's, it's, not, it's trying not to be, and that's why it's bad. Oh, God. Never heard The fourth one is an anime from a game. A Pokemon? No. From a game. It was oh, a very Final popular... Fantasy! Final Fantasy! That weird Spirit. film, Spirit... <laughs> yeah, what was it called? Yes, The Spirit's Within. Spirit's, Spirit's Within. Within. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I'll kind of give you a half point. The yes, fifth one, I, I can't even remember, is called Rise of the Guardians. Oh, no, I know oh, that one. That's the one with... Yeah, the, I know that one. ...about, like, Santa Claus and... and the, the... Yeah, like, Frost Giants yeah, and shit like that. Yeah, no, I do know. I do have heard of that. Honest to God, that was shocking. That was hard, though. Yeah. I, you, well, you, was you... it hard? I expected at least one. I mean, to be fair, Osmosis Jones was further down the list. Do you also remember oh, the right. Great Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle? Is that is that animated? That's mixed, isn't is it? it? Mixed, kind of is. Well, I suppose Osmosis Jones that kind of is as well. Do you remember Monkey Bone? That's also mixed. Yes. Well, I thought Monkey Bone was one came to my head, but it's not animated all the way through. Also, seventh in this list is Kubo and the Two Strings, which is a great film. Really? Because it, it just didn't. It just didn't do. Yeah, it just did not do well. Sixty million budget. Made fifty-four million. That was a terrible performance. Shocking. Okay, so now it's time for us to decide what's a good performance, as it's time to decide what is the best song of the Prince of Egypt. Alex, do you want to go first this week? As always. As always. Um, what is the best song? God, I mean, I thought we were all going to be saying it was "Two Heavens Eyes." <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a, I feel like a bit displaced now. Whilst watching it, I was thinking like. Pretty much every song is good in this film, except for the... Let's hear it for the boys. Playing with the big boys now. <laughs> playing with the big boys now. But even that one was one of the ones I remembered from before. Like, that was one of the ones that played around in my head before I watched it. Like, yeah, I remember that one. So it's difficult. I feel like you two are maybe leaning towards Plagues. But I actually, I actually think the one that I found really impactful was the first one, Deliver Us. And I felt like if you combine it with the ballad in the middle, which it kind of felt like a mini opera in itself, like the two combined, so... Maybe I'll go Deliverers. I don't know, it's very hard. I can. I think I really tried to talk myself into uh, When You Believe because I really hated listening to the Mariah Carey Whitney Houston version. <laughs> Which is weird because I didn't think I disliked it until I heard it next to the normal version. So I was kind of trying to sway myself towards that version in the film, but I don't think it is the best song in the film. Whereas I did like The Plagues, it felt like it was very much playing on all I ever wanted. So I Oh god, I'm going to say deliver us. Okay, well I think I made it quite clear during this this episode which one I'm going for. <laughs> yes. 100%, 100% The Plagues is by far the best song in my opinion. Ben, what about you? I just want to say, Alex, that was the longest deliberation I think we've ever had for a choice. <laughs> and it's still not 100% on it. It's still, still not 100% not... on it. It'll change, it'll change by the end of the podcast recording. I am going to go, if I can couple it with the animation, I'm going to go deliver us. I think it just sets the tone for the entire film. Mm. I do like Plagues. Weird sentence to say. <laughs> but going back to the film after a very long time, it just already sets me into kind of like, oh, I think I misremembered this. Like, it just already sets me into like, um, this is film is deep. This film's got a lot more to say. This film's got a serious message, but it's still enjoyable. 
I think it encompasses all that into this one song. And so I will go with Deliver Us. Okay, well, that's, unless Alex has changed his mind, that's a 2-1 victory <laughs> for Deliver Us. I like how you said, like, we're all going to pick Heaven's Eyes and you didn't even pick it. Yeah. <laughs> I know, well, no, but I think that that's kind of swayed it. I think I was going into it thinking that was my favourite, but then you kind of, you both of you talked me out of it. But... <laughs> I don't think it's, it's, it's not important enough <laughs> to be the best song. Although that goes very much against the argument that I had when we were discussing uh, the Oscar songs last week. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway. So that brings an end to our second half and overall look at The Prince of Egypt. Let us know which one you think is the best song on Twitter. Alex, what is our Twitter handle? TSFTMPod. He <laughs> does sound confident. Pod? <laughs> so you can help the podcast in many ways. For example, you can share this on a random subreddit. But what subreddit should they pick, Ben? Oh, gosh. Um, let's go for the... Ralph Fiennes subreddit. Hmm. Fiennes with an F. Those people. Fiennes choice. If those people don't know. <laughs> if those people don't know about his singing, they need to know. Surely they would know. Well, no, they will now. <laughs> so once you finish sharing this on Reddit, you can help us on Patreon by buying merch or by leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, iTunes is usually the, the main one, but we'll take them anywhere. As we've said before, on the street, if you just want to tell somebody. <laughs> about this podcast just do it good or they bad. will definitely be happier to hear it and they might even already know it you'll become friends isn't that nice <laughs> that would be nice i think it's unlikely <laughs> the podcast is connecting people as long as you stay stay distant keep two feet away so all that's left six feet away <laughs> yeah, two meters yeah. away oh yeah so all that's left now is to do some goodbyes so it's goodbye from myself goodbye and goodbye from alex i am the morning and the evening star and goodbye from Ben he's not the messiah he's a very naughty boy (laughs) so goodbye everybody bye Bye. oh blessed are the meek oh that's nice Oh, blessed are the cheesemakers, did he say?